Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, I'm looking at all kinds of signals I'm getting from the station. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, it's always a panic trying to get in here on time to do the show. Anyway, uh, my clocks may be a little bit slow today, or I may be a little bit slow, but anyway, we made it here. I've got all kinds of notes I take all week long uh, about what we're going to talk about and and uh what we ought to talk about what's but it ultimately it just comes down to uh you know when we get here we get here and when we're doing it we're doing it we're you know i'm only a few miles away from the largest uh forest fire in the united states at this time and it's been coming this way for weeks and weeks very slow moving it's burned over 300,000 acres already had sheriffs from other counties coming by and telling us we have to leave. And, of course, we're not. um, Because we're probably the safest place to be. Uh, We're surrounded by green. We have a huge lake right below us. Uh, uh, My son started the uh, fire department. (laughs) So... uh, we know everybody on it. One, one of my sons is out uh, right now working on, you know, preparing for the fire getting here. We've had lots of time to prepare for this. We had had lots of fires where we had no time to prepare, and we still didn't lose a house. Uh, the last year, well, it wasn't last year. It was a couple years ago now. Uh, somebody from out of town was uh, uh, playing around with... Uh, pyrotechnics and uh, they left and it started a fire and it burned uh, the side of the mountain and along quite a ways and uh, we were ready to fight it we had guys there with heavy equipment to fight it but uh, the uh, BLM and uh, government agencies would not let us go on and fight it because we had to be approved by them first. We probably know more about firefighting and stop more fires in the valley than almost anybody, including the Forest Service. Uh, but uh, they wanted us to be certified because they didn't, uh, you know, and have insurance and uh, all this stuff when we are our insurance or assurance. But anyway, so we had all this equipment sitting on the side that we couldn't use to go and fight the fire, and the fire got out of their control and ended up burning a couple of outbuildings. We protected the houses. Uh, now we started the RPA. We always had a volunteer fire department, but we weren't. Uh, the RPA can go on rangeland, actually go on to BLM ground if we're the first one to be there, and we almost always are. Uh, because they're slow at getting their act together. They got guys they're paying to watch and they got radios everywhere and, uh, they don't show up before us. I mean, that's the way it was years ago. Fish and Wildlife, somebody started a fire, somebody again from out of town. This time it was fireworks. And, uh, they, uh, uh, started uh, a fire on the Fish and Wildlife or along the side of the road and it burned onto the Fish and Wildlife and we had it out before the Fish and Wildlife even showed up. You know, and they, of course, they have to get all their special equipment. We showed up with five-gallon buckets and a pair of pants. Oh, we had, you know, shovels and axes and we could have pulled out the chainsaws but we were dealing with brush fires. But that's, uh, you know, an old pair of pants and a five-gallon bucket of water is the quickest way to put out a fire. It's better than those Indian cans or anything. But anyway, uh, the reason why we're so good at it is because, well, we have experience and because we have motivation. And uh, we actually want to put the fire out. We're not thinking about getting overtime. Uh, we're thinking about getting the fire out and then going doing a radio program <laughs> or whatever. So, uh, and so I talked this morning briefly about somebody who was here 
that were getting paid eighty dollars an hour to show up and work on structural fires, and they're from other parts of Oregon. Of course, they're from Portland, which just let itself burn down a couple summers now with all the rioting and all that stuff going on. Still, a lot of areas where nobody's going to open up a store again, and they're they're destroying their communities because they aren't really communities. And so we talked this morning about Amos, and Amos uh, is telling that destruction was coming. You know, plagues and pestilence and all these things. But what he's really talking about is the fact that their high priests and their priests uh, were not providing welfare for the people. See, all these countries, all societies have some form of welfare for their people. They always have. This is how you bind a society together, unless you're just a bunch of, you know, don't want to pick on cavemen, but cavemen run around and, you know, that was one of the shows, I don't remember which one it was, it's old kind of B-movie deal where the cavemen go out and, and they hunt the, the wild animal and then somebody who is a really good hunter and valued and everything, he gets injured and nobody cares. You know, he's just on his own. But they have this other uh, person, a girl, looks like a model or something, and uh, she she shows compassion and brings them food and kindness and and teaches them forgiveness. Uh, the reality is, real cavemen didn't know that they ain't going to survive. They just stay monkeys in the tree because you know you'll even find compassion amongst the monkeys. Humans would not have evolved if that's what they did, and I'm not saying they did, but this is the common theory that is around, floating around. That one of the first things they have to do is uh, evolve forgiveness and consideration of others. I mean, that's how you create a clan, a pact, a congress. You care about others. Except you now have a congress that doesn't care about others. <laughs> Uh, like I was saying this also this morning, that Pelosi was saying that, uh, you know, she had five children in six years. Uh, but, uh, you know, we have to have abortion available for the poor people so they can kill their children because they can't afford to take care of their children. Well, if you were actually doing what Christ said, of all these people claiming to be Christians, and she claims to be a Christian, she claims to be a good Catholic, and that's where it all started is that... Uh, some bishop or archbishop was saying that you can't be a good Catholic and support abortion, especially through taxation. So, the the reality is is that uh, she isn't a Christian at all. The, the bishop isn't a Christian either. If he was actually a Christian, meaning a follower of Christ, doing what Christ said, that bishop would be commanding the people to organize into the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that they can create a daily ministration to operate by faith, hope, and charity. I can tell you with almost certainty, without even knowing what his name is, that bishop is not preaching that. But that's what Christ commanded his disciples to do. Now, Pelosi wouldn't have made several million dollars this year uh if she was actually doing what Christ said but uh you wouldn't have to have 60 million poor people abort their children either and people who worry about overpopulation you could you could actually sustain easily with less pollution than we have today 14 billion people on earth you could probably even sustain more comfortably they said years ago, almost a hundred years ago, people were predicting overpopulation within a few years. Uh, but that's not the case. Uh, the problem isn't popul- quantity, it's quality. And if you want quality people, you create them in the family. You do not create them in institutions of government. I posted something somebody was talking about. Um, I can't even remember what it was about originally, but uh, they're talking about governments. And and I said, you can't learn to walk in a wheelchair. Basically, that's what I said. 
if you want to learn to walk, you have to get up and try to walk. You know, and that's just the way it is. If you want to be free, you have to start taking back your responsibilities. That's part of the deal. That's how it works. So anyway, uh, I was trying to think of some other news items. Well, like I said, there's, uh, frontline doctors are, are, uh, suing Health and Human Services to stop the administration of the vaccine because they believe over 50,000 people have died from it already in America alone. And of course the prediction by the epidemiologists and um, uh, immunologists uh, like Bhakti and and uh, others who we've named over and over again that uh, it isn't it isn't the people who die within three days of getting the shot that is the real concern. That's the tip of the iceberg. The real concern is the ADE and immune deficiencies that will, and incompatibilities that will be created by this disruption of the immune system and the addition of the spike protein into the blood circulation where it will affect heart and liver and placentas and everything else. So... I think that that's a a real distinct possibility and evidently top scientists think that that's a real possibility but they're still trying to make everybody get it in. Social media is hiding that fact from people. You know, they're suppressing that information. If it ends up that I'm right and I'm I'm not even saying absolutely that's the case. All I'm saying is what the science says. What scientists are actually saying, if that's right and people start dying by the thousands and women are made infertile by the uh, the vaccine, and this was always, all along, a way to reduce the population of the world, the, the end game, so to speak, what, what are you going to do? Shake your fist? Uh, shake your fist at uh, the people who made this all come about. Will you really change? Yeah, I was just thinking of some of those names again. Professor Lou Montagnier, uh, Wolfgang Wadarg, um, Vivian Fisher, you know, other people coming out and talking about the infertility of mass vaccinations of the human population. And, of course, you can't get it on YouTube. You'd have to go to some other place like BitChute. And we have we have a site at BitChute. We have a site at Rumble. And uh, we're going to try to get as many of these. But uh, I'm pretty much running ragged uh, trying to keep up with the schedule that uh, has been laid out before me. It's just almost impossible to get all these things done. But uh, also, you know, we have YouTube and we have several other people putting up YouTubes uh, for us and, uh, you know, on their own channels and uh, but taking our audios and revamping them and putting them up. And then there's been debate with people who would look at this and say, oh, well, no. This or that or, you know, some sort of disagreement with what we have to say. Well, I, I responded to several of these. So far, I haven't seen it. That's what I was just looking at to see if I got any responses back. That was the other thing I talked about this morning. And somebody asked if I understood the definition of decimation. And, of course, uh, the original time I heard decimation was the decimation of the... Uh, cohorts of the the Roman centurions and what they did was they killed every one in you know the tenth uh, soldier in a regiment one in ten were killed they just executed them and they you know no bias it's just that you guys have to be punished so we're going to kill one in ten same thing was going on when the Germans took over Norway you know if somebody sabotaged something in Norway they would 
just line up citizens and, you know, the usual suspects and they would kill every other one or every tenth one or something like that. And then that would supposedly stop it because they knew that they would do that again. And of course, I can show you in the Roman, uh, siege at, uh, in Israel, at Masada, they were getting closer and closer building this ramp up so that they could storm the gates of Masada. And when they got close enough, uh, the guys inside would fire a bow and kill one of the Roman centurions. And when you did that, they would line up ten Israelites or Judeans and kill them in front of the guys. For every one you kill of us, we will kill ten of them. And so they no longer could do that. And then finally, in the, they ended up committing suicide. They hid uh, something like 20-some or maybe more children in a well with an old woman. But the Romans found them. And they did that because they knew the Romans would sell them into bondage. And of course, this morning when we talked about Amos, we were pointing out that everybody was going into bondage anyway. And they were in, everybody in America is in the bondage of Egypt. This is the thing that is so astounding. How many places that does it tell you in the Bible that God did not want you to return to the bondage of Egypt? I mean, he led you out, sent Moses to lead you out of a condition in Egypt where 20% of your labor belonged to the government. And now you all go to churches, and the daughters of the church, the Roman church, and has been a part of this, and then the daughters of the Roman church is all the Protestant churches. And uh, while they were guiding you, you all went back into the bondage of Egypt. And so... What's the, how did that come about? FDR offered you Social Security. You pay in, I think the first lady went on Social Security at about 65 and she'd only paid in for a few years. So she didn't pay in all the money she was going to collect. But it says, let's all have one purse. We all pay in and we will take care of the needy of society. All you have to do is sign up and waive a right to a portion of your labor. Back then it was one and a half percent. And then your employer was supposed to pay one and a half percent. Now it's like 14 percent. And your employer figures that in when he hires you. He's not going to pay you everything you're worth because he's paying, you know, that everybody wants to have a minimum wage. The reason you don't get a higher wage now is because your employer is taxed for hiring you. He's punished for hiring you. He owes the government money because he gave you a job. So he doesn't give you the money. He gives it to the government. And you say, he's not giving us enough. Well, he's not giving you enough because he has to give to the government. He has to keep all these books. He has to do all this stuff. That the government requires, and so it's very expensive to hire you. I've hired employees before. I remember just shortly after I hired two employees, they changed the amount of money that you withhold for unemployment, and then they changed it again, and they finally they changed it a third time, all within the space of about two months. And so I had to go back and calculate this. I mean, I didn't have enough employees at that time to hire a bookkeeper, so I had to read all the regulations and figure it all out myself and do all the math. And I'm up till midnight, been working all day, getting that done. Because I'm not just working for me, I'm working for the government. And the reason you don't get paid more is because you're working for the government. Of course, if we paid you as much as you're probably worth, you'd just squander it. You wouldn't save it because you don't know how to be free. You know how to take care of one another. All this has come about and is part of the weakening of society. The degeneration of the society. Taking you down in society so that you, uh, you're you not a part of 
a free society. And that's what I was talking about this morning, is the bands which connected you to another. You know, they talk about dissolving the bands which have connected us with the British government. Well, many of those bands had already been, you know, dissolved by coming to America. There were no roads, so you're going to have to make them yourself. There were no businesses. There were no stores to go to. Anything you wanted, you had to make yourself or make somebody in your group had to make it and exchange with something valuable that you made. So that, that was one band that they weren't dependent upon the government. And then they also had to protect themselves against thieves and robbers. And that made them stronger. They had to take, protect themselves from flood and famine. And that made them stronger. So those were breaking the bands. That independence, and but they still wanted you to come back. He still wanted you to submit and pay these extra taxes to the king. And uh, a lot of people didn't want to do it. But they didn't have to do it because you couldn't impose new taxes. You could make no law except by the consent of the free man. That's That's what, that's what they were doing. Making no law except by the consent of the free man. You know, I think I'm going to actually fix (laughs) what would not fix. There it is. Okay, I just fixed something in the programming that would not work. I tried it several times before the show started. All this stuff, you have to learn how to do it. And there's so much more I have to learn how to do. And I tell you, there's not enough hours in the day. It's just an unbelievable amount of time that it consumes and energy that it consumes to do all the things. Which is why Christ was making it essential that you gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And support one another and, and provide for one another. And if you don't, if it, which it takes work. The Bible tells you the slothful shall be under tribute. And when you're under tribute, now you have a government that exercises authority. It can actually force the contributions of the people. It has a right to do that because you weren't the government of the people for the people and by the people. You elected other people to do the governing and then you would just go off and do your own thing and you found out that if I covet my neighbor's goods, then my neighbor gets to covet my goods. And so my neighbor wants free school and free health care and so you go deeper and deeper into bondage. What do you do about it? Well, you have to think differently. And that's what repentance is, is thinking differently. And going another way. And this this idea, like in Isaiah 28.10, it says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, upon line upon line, here a little and there a little. Well, you've gone away from the precepts of God, the righteousness of God, as it says in Amos, the plumb line of God. And you've been doing contrary to the ways of God. You haven't been righteous. You haven't been seeking righteousness. The mitzvah, righteousness of God. The commandments of God. You've gone absolutely the other way. Somebody wrote, Abraham is not just a wealthy nomad. Abraham was a warlord after he conquered the five kings that had conquered, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the five cities of the plains. Evamelech, who uh, knew that Elohim, who called Abraham his prophet, had destroyed those cities and, you know, taken people captive. And, uh, with, and supposedly with fire and brimstone. At least according to this one guy writes on the Hellel info site. Uh, and there's a story about, uh, Abraham proving that a certain well was his by this, uh, uh, 
giving Abimelech, which is not really a guy. Abimelech has to do with a king. This Ab king wells and seals it with sevenfold oath in the form of seven U's. The U's are evidence of the oath or the agreement. And what it was was that uh, there was an agreement that this well produced by Abraham was Abraham's. And the seven U's are an insample of the consummation of that agreement. The guy took the seven U's. He took the help, uh, the the uh, gift. But uh, this uh, this is where they get the name Beersheba. Is this oath uh, or the sevenfold oath that uh, was taken supposedly? But it's not really an oath. It has to do with an agreement, though. So was Abraham a warlord? No. A warlord has the power to compel troops. Now he had, what is it, 900 men that came to fight that were a part of his household. Well, that's the militia. Uh, the militia in the United States is defined by statute. You know, somebody was talking about, oh, involved with the militia or he did something with the militia. You know who the militia is in America? According to statute, according to the law, it's every man between the ages of 17 and 45. They're already automatically able-bodied man is already a part of the militia. They don't have to sign up for anything. They don't have to march with camo or anything. They're already the militia because they're between the ages of 17 and 45 and they're good health. That's the militia. Because everybody in the community would naturally be expected to defend the community against someone who was trying to hurt it. And so, the idea that he was a warlord, no. He was just had this large household that could come up with 900 young men. But he couldn't defeat those guys with just them, so he also had all the people round about him that he had been setting up altars with. They agreed to come. They chose to come. That's not a warlord. They, no one's compelling him to do that. I mean, the definition of a warlord is a strong leader able to exercise military, economic, and political control over the subnational territory within a sovereign state because of their ability to mobilize loyal armed force. Well, he didn't really mobilize it, but they came. They showed up. It's kind of like our RFPA. They show up. Hundreds of guys out there with equipment and they showed up and they're putting the fires out and they're stopping the fires and protecting the homes. Were the armed forces loyal to the warlord or were they loyal to righteousness? Because see, that's what was happening is that Abraham was teaching the people how to be a free nation. How to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Which is what dissolves the bands of men like Nimrod and Pharaoh and Caesar. But it also creates the bands of the perfect law of liberty. And that's what you should be doing. And that's what Christ was teaching you. That is the way. But the bishop who condemned Pelosi, he doesn't tell people to do that. The daughters of the harlot don't tell the people to do that. We tell the people that's what they should do because that's what Christ commanded that we tell you. That's what John the Baptist was preaching before. And people aren't listening, aren't doing what Christ said. And so what we see going on today in the world is exactly contrary to the teachings of Christ. I also went through this discussion with uh, Tim. 
And uh, that's really where we should have been probably going to right now. And uh, he was confused. And a lot of people are confused. So what we wanted to do was set up a way in which we could do a whole series on confusion. To help people avoid the confusion that has brought everybody to this state of destruction. So, what does confusion mean? And what does the Bible have to say about confusion with each other so that you can find them? And uh, so I have a page, Confused. Eventually I'll have it so confused and confounded and um, ashamed all linked to this page. But if we looked up the word confounded, it says to mingle and blend different things so that their forms or natures cannot be distinguished. To mix in a mass or crowd so that individuals cannot be distinguished. One of the things you see them doing with cults is is trying to get so that everybody has something in common. They all look a certain way. Uh, so they'll wear some particular piece of cloth or garment or hat to prove that they are a part of the group. And uh, it takes away your individual identity to some degree, but it gives you a group identity. And of course, that's what the millennials are being told to do in schools is to get this group identity. We all wear certain clothes or, or we all wear a mask like that. That's uh, the uh, pandemic cult. And then you have to get them to do something that they consciously would not normally do. And you maybe shame them and yell at them. You get them to do these things. And that also helps make them a part of the cult. Because it gives them a sense of identity. But it's not an identity born from within. It's an identity that is part of a social construct. It's an identity you learn. And you don't want that. You don't want to go that way. So... I've also expanded my page on cults to tell you that that most cults have several things in common. They work to make (laughs) people economically dependent, uh, control the flow of information, and get the people to wear something or act in a particular uniform way in order to create a sense of belonging to a particular communal group. And that's what they've been doing with the mask. You have to stand six feet apart. You have to wear this mask. You have to do social distancing. And some people are still, that if you go out, uh, don't engage in conversations with other people. Don't talk to other people. Why? Because what are they going to talk about? How stupid the shutdowns were. Uh, the fact that thousands of people are dying from the sh- getting the COVID shot. Young people are dying from getting the COVID shot. And scientists are predicting that thousands more will die. Maybe millions and millions of people will die or become infertile or both. They don't want you talking about this. They're not, they're controlling the narrative in the news. But if you were in a network in the kingdom of God, you could hear about these things. You could talk about these things. There's freedom of speech in the kingdom of God. But people don't want to do that. They don't want to understand that. But they, you could see them creating that dependency. How many people aren't even going back to work because they got the, these free checks from government? It's cheaper not to work. It's easier not to work. And, uh, you know, because when you work, you get tired. I was worried about this. I was out working on some things. We're trying to create a, a situation where we can feed more people, you know, not just us, because we have to care about other people as much as we care about ourselves. So, But we have to be able to do it in an isolated fashion, because that's where they're going. 
if you don't get the shot, you're going to be isolated. You're going to be quarantined. You're going to be cloistered away from society. So you're going to have to have some place to go where you can do those things that are necessary to survive, to live. Now, we're not going to talk about this all the time. Because then we'll get all these people who just want to survive. And I can tell you right now that if you don't get in a congregation and start caring about others so that I get this good report of the fact that you care about others as much as you care about yourself, I'm not going to tell you where Basra is. Somebody was asking about Basra on the network. See, I, I need somebody producing the show so that I don't have to do any of these things. You just told me. <laughs> and and I should have got in er, earlier to examine and, and get the, this ready, but I had so much trouble logging in that I wasn't able to put all my notes together. And so I'm just kind of winging it. And there's nobody else here. Everybody is out helping other people or going along with other people and uh like I say it's actually smoke's getting thicker again because I can see that uh it's getting darker outside already so we're more than just a little busy here but anyway Basra means fortress protection and your protection you know and we talked about this in our study on Amos and anybody who wants to hear if you miss those studies, you can go back over those studies because there's a lot of little pieces and go over it with a fine-tooth cook. And, you know, if you're going over that preparing you, I'm constantly adding links in there, right? Sometimes I leave certain things out the first time we talk about these things. And, uh, well, my goodness, you wouldn't believe the email that is showing up. <laughs> So this is turning into a really slow program. i tell you the truth, it's extremely hot in this office. <laughs> None of the windows are open. The door is shut. There's nobody, there's nothing cooling the place off. And I've been working since 5 o'clock this morning. Had to shoot a raccoon out of a tree because it was trying to eat our chickens. <laughs> uh, and then I came in here and worked until... Uh, the show did the two-hour show. Then I went out and worked on cement forms and irrigation. And the cows had broke into the orchard. And uh, uh, so I'm doing fence repair. And then I dash back here to do the <laughs> program. <laughs> and, uh, and yesterday, you know, we have a horse that got lame, and so I'm working on that hoof, and my wife says, you look tired, you should go take a nap. I'm in the middle of haying, they're predicting rain in a couple of days, which would be fine if we got some rain, but uh, you don't want all your hay down. And I can't get the tractor to steer properly to pull the rake, so I have to go find another tractor to pull the rake, because I've got hay mowed down already. It's you know, I'm back to 16-hour days. Uh, got to bed after midnight. Uh, I'm up at 5. And then we had these, and I, I was trying to find, too, some of those um, links to some of these comments that people are saying on the different uh, videos that we do or that are put up, and they argumentative. And I wanted to read exactly what they were saying. But... I'm not going to find it. So I'm going to go back to uh, looking at Tim, which would be a part of this confused uh, definition that we've, we're putting up. Because if you go in the Bible and you look up the word confused, you'll find the word confounded and confused and ashamed. All translated from the same word. But not one same word. There's a word that means ashamed. And sometimes they translate it confused or abashed. And uh, there's a word that is does mean confounded. And sometimes they will translate that ashamed or confused. And they use them all interchangeably, yet they're all found in the same verses. We're not going to do the show on that because of the fact that I, I want to go through and show you why they do some of that and why they're... All three of those words would show up in the same sentence if they all supposedly mean the same things at different times. 
They're playing fast and loose with you. I mean, the word for uh, for confounded is kafar, and uh, and there's another word for ashamed. It's it's quite different, and the word for confused is quite different. And then they have variations of these words. But it's it's really very simple. Is that if you don't follow the way, and we talked about this this morning in Amos, the way of righteousness, the way the righteousness of God in the way that you conduct yourself and conduct your affairs with your fellow man, you will be confounded. You will not be able to see order in things. You will be confused. You will not know what to do next or where to go or what to say or what to not say. And you will end up doing things that you should be ashamed of. It's automatic. It's like uh, dropping a slinky down the stairs. You know, it goes down and flips over and goes down the next step and down the next step and down the next step. And if it doesn't do that in perfect order, all of a sudden it's just rolling down the step. <laughs> if You know, the idea always was to give it just enough push the first time so that it goes all the way down the steps. We, we had... Somebody bought our kids slinkies, and we have a big long step here going up to the what used to be the loft. And they used to go there, and that was the game, you know, where you they were trying to get that slinky to go all the way down to the bottom of the steps in, in a uniform way. Well, the fact is, is that's what we're doing when we step outside of the righteousness of God. And coveting your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority is just that. It breaks the bonds of you and God. Turning the idea of religion into what you think about God is breaking the bonds of God. You are now going to be judge of who God is. God is what is right. It's up, up to us to figure out what is right in every single circumstances based upon the leading of the Spirit of God because we can't invent what's right. In Psalm seventy-one twenty-four, it says, My tongue also shall talk of thy righteousness all the day long. So they are confounded. For they are brought into shame. That's the word kafar. That seek my hurt. And the word confounded in this particular um, verse is actually bush. Be, uh, be it vav uh, shin. Which is not kafar. <laughs> See, like the Beit uh, Vav uh, Shen, it's translated shame most of the time. It it really kind of means ashamed, and there's a reason why. You know, Beit has to do with the house, Vav has to do with division, and Shen has to do with eternal flame or of revelation. So when you divide your house from revelation, which you do when you do contrary to the Ten Commandments, that's what the Vav is for, you have reason to be ashamed. But they also decided to translate it confounded uh, 21 times. And just the word shame about nine times. But confusion even once. It's translated confusion once. So there's another word, kalam, which is uh, kuf, kaf actually, lamad. Mim, and uh, it normally means ashamed also, but it only appears about twelve times. And uh, it's it's this cough lamad. Uh, mem lamad has to do with hand. Mem has to do with flow, but calf has to do with actualized potential power from spiritual to physical realms. So, it has to do with what you do. You know, it, even though it's translated ashamed 12 times, it's translated confounded 12 times. Shame itself, 
not ashamed, but shame itself seven times, blush three times, hurt twice, reproach twice, and confusion. Same word. Translated all these different ways. And we can go down to other words, like the kafar, which is chet, uh, pi, resh. You know, basically, now they do add extra letters and we'll go over that eventually, but the point is, is that that's normally translated confounded, but they decide four times to translate it ashamed. Well, they get into real problems when they translate these things a certain way and they all appear in the same sentence. <laughs> you know, there's an actual meaning to these words. You know, chat, it has to do with the life force and pay has to do with communication. You know, kind of the oral Torah. What things really mean. But Rash has to do with authority. So somebody wrote, you know, about uh, pastors who don't do anything about the fact that uh, shutdowns have taken place and destroyed lives and the riots have taken place and destroyed lives and, of course, abortion is taking place and destroys life. And all this is because we're not following the ways of righteousness. We're doing contrary to the ways of Christ. We're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands taking care of one another. We sit down in the 300 millions, sign up for agreements that we know that will only provide us with needy by taking away from others. And somehow or other that we think we're doing what's right. And that we're doing what is righteous. When we're actually confounding the issue uh, to the point to our own shame. And then we're confused about what to do. Well, we we should repent. Because what we should do is sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another with faith, hope, and charity. And people just do not want to do that. So anyway, we'll do that uh, uh, later when we do the confused. But you have a little heads up that that's something that we're going to be looking at. And... Uh, then we have, well, at that time, we'll go back to Tim, who thinks crazy things. You know, coveting, seeking what is yours, peddling pretext for greed, expecting more than what is due. Well, taking advantage are all warnings by Paul to reject clergyism. Clergyism? What is See, he think, he doesn't even know what clergy is. He's a home church guy, so he thinks clergy is the guys who lead your and tickle your ears on Sunday so that you think you've done right. No, clergy is the people who provide you with social welfare, who serve the tabernacles of the congregation. I heard a lawyer talking the other day, interviewed on the Dave Rubin show. It's actually a little bit older interview. Uh He's he's done a lot of civil rights work and defending people whose rights have been uh, damaged by the uh, the abuse of the system. Those swarms of locusts that you've created for yourselves to take away from your neighbors now taking away from you. But anyway, he anyway where I was going with this, and I can't think of the oh yeah now I got it. Okay, he was talking that he would get rid of his law degree, give it up, and give up the practice of law if everybody would go to this system that he saw on the Indian reservations. Now, the Indian reservations have some good things on the Indian reservations, and it's allowed them to survive. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm very critical of the Indian culture on the Indian reservation because it is, you know, it's again, it's the canary in the coal mine. If you wanted to see what it takes to destroy people, create a system of social welfare. But what he was talking about is what he calls the system of elders. And you become an elder in, in the tribe by being picked by the people. They think that you're more honorable, more honest, more trustworthy, and they set you up. And so you'll have like these ten elders. And if you have a problem, you go to the elders and they sit down and talk with you and try to resolve the problem between you and your neighbor. And he says it works really effectively. 
Well, the problem with it is that it's, you know, a special 10 in a small tribe or a special 12 in a small tribe. And really what Israel was doing was everybody who was the head of a family was an elder. They would all sit down in groups of 10 or 12. And in that group of 10 or 12, you tried to resolve these disputes you had between you. If if somebody was having a hard time financially and they were working real hard or they're working pretty hard, they didn't have to abort their baby because they, they knew they would get support of their community. But their community, along with supporting them and helping them with this, would also rebuke them when they're lazy. And that was a very important part of the thing. But every head of every household was an elder and they tried to resolve all the issues in that small group. If they had an issue with another group, they would pick five from one other group and five from their group, and they would sit down and try to solve this. And then if there was still dispute and they couldn't solve it, then you go up another layer. This is the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So he could see just a little glimpse of the elder system on the tribe made it so you didn't need the legal system. But you don't have that. And what would bind such a system together is that uh, you have to become the social welfare of one another through faith, hope, and charity. But anyway, to find out more about that, go to Keys to the Kingdom. Uh, go to preparingyou.com. You can look up Keys to the Kingdom and these other things and try to figure out what it is that makes it a free society. And a one that survives hard times. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.